Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Reverend Eric Mason. Before we get to our question today, I want to remind you to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, I have some exciting news for you. The website for Muslims Want to Know is finished. On that website, you can listen to episodes, read transcripts of the episodes, submit your own questions, support the podcast, and take online courses as well. So please visit us today at www.muslimswanttoknow.com. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. So if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Here is our recap. In our last episode, we covered the question, Are all Christians truly Christian? In that episode, we discovered that, yes, all Christians are Christian. But not all people who represent Christianity are truly Christian. As we fleshed out that brief answer, we learned what sincere faith looks like by taking a look at a parable Lord Jesus shared about four different soils. We also took a look at two different groups of people who tend to represent Christianity but are not Christian. The first group of people are those who claim to be Christian because they were born into a Christian home. And the second group of people are those who claim to be Christian just because they share some common ground with Christianity. Our conclusion was this. The best way to learn if a Christian is truly Christian is by observing their knowledge of all Lord Jesus did, observing the transformation of that person's heart, and observing the transformation of their hands. Our question today comes at the end of a season of fasting and feasting for Muslims around the world. On May 1st, Muslims finished their 30-day period of fasting for Ramadan. Now, some of our Christian listeners may not know this, but Ramadan is a 30-day period of fasting that occurs in the ninth month of the Islamic calendar, which is based off of lunar cycles. During this period, all Muslims are supposed to fast from both water and food from sunrise to sunset. Of course, that's unless they're physically or medically unable to fast like that. Muslims believe that Ramadan marks the first time the Quran was recited to Muhammad, and it ends in a three-day celebration called Eid al-Fitr. My wife and I had the opportunity to visit some homes of our Muslim friends during the final celebrations of Ramadan. And as our Muslim friends shared about why they celebrated Ramadan, a question arose. Do Christians have seasons of fasting and feasting? That is the question we will be looking at today. 
But before we look at the answers to our question today, let me open with a brief prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your words and understand and do your will, for we are sojourners upon the earth. Do not hide your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak to us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. Enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not just to cherish those things written, but to seek after you by doing them. Amen. So, do Christians have seasons of fasting and feasting? The quick answer is, of course we do. And most my Muslim friends and probably most of the Muslim listeners to this podcast already know about holidays like Christmas or Easter. But those aren't the only seasons celebrated by Christians. And if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you will have picked up on the fact that there are different holidays and different seasons Christians celebrate each year. To better understand these seasons celebrated by Christianity, it's best to look at our yearly calendar, which is called the liturgical calendar. Fun Fact the seasons of the liturgical calendar are centered on the Incarnation, Life, Ministry, Death, Resurrection, Ascension, and Return of Lord Jesus Christ. Churches and individuals use the liturgical calendar to draw closer to the triune God by reflecting on His full revelation in the person of Lord Jesus, the Son of God. Unlike calendars that begin on January 1st, the liturgical calendar begins and ends in the fall. Now here's one thing to note. When Christians discuss the word liturgy, we often mean something like a regular pattern or order of worship. And the same understanding can be applied to the liturgical calendar. The liturgical calendar is an order of worship based on the change of seasons, which draw us deeper in praise of the triune God as he fully revealed himself to humanity in and through Lord Jesus Christ. The seasons of the liturgical calendar were not instituted by Lord Jesus or dictated by God to the early church to preserve for observation. In the first several centuries of the growth of God's family, the early Christians developed the calendar based on the timing of events as relayed by the authors of the Gospels and early eyewitness accounts of Lord Jesus. They also based them on previous Jewish holidays which found new meaning in and through Lord Jesus, as well as through observation of the ways in which God communicates to humanity through his created order and the changing of the natural seasons. For our time and purposes today, I will not be able to give exhaustive information or historical accounts of each of the seasons of the liturgical calendar. But if you listen to this podcast long enough, I guarantee you'll gain a better understanding of each of these seasons and holidays of the liturgical calendar as we continue engaging in these conversations together. In the future, 
I also plan on releasing more information on these seasons through the website www.muslimswanttoknow.com. So keep your eyes open for those materials. For today, though, I thought it would be best for us to look at a brief overview of the various seasons of the liturgical calendar. Now, I'm about to throw a lot of information at you, so stick with me for the next several minutes. The liturgical calendar can be divided into four main seasons with subsequent major events and holidays. Season 1. Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. Season 2. The First Group of Ordinary Time. Season 3. Lent, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. Season 4. The Second Group of Ordinary Time. Season 1. Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. Advent begins four Sundays before Christmas. Advent means coming and is often associated with the already not yet of Lord Jesus. The first two Sundays of Advent focus on Lord Jesus' return, while the third and fourth Sundays focus on his incarnation. Already, Lord Jesus has come. One day, he will return. Traditionally, Advent is a season of fasting, of repentance, and of generosity. And it begins in the fall, just as the days begin growing darker and darker. Traditional colors you may see in churches during Advent are purple and pink. Christmas is celebrated on December 25th by Christians all over the world. In the midst of the darkness of winter, Christmas is the celebration of the light of God entering our world through the incarnation of Lord Jesus. Christians all over the world celebrate Christmas by attending services on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. They celebrate by putting on nativity plays, singing traditional Christmas carols, and decorating Christmas trees. Christmas is a celebration marked by feasts, family, and joy. The traditional colors you may see in churches at Christmas are gold or white. Epiphany occurs 12 days after Christmas. Epiphany celebrates the day in which astronomers and scientists from the East followed a star to Bethlehem where they encountered Joseph, Mary, and Lord Jesus as an infant. Epiphany celebrates the moment when God was revealed to the Gentiles, and again, Gentiles are those who are not Jewish. In certain parts of the world, the 12 days leading up to Epiphany are called the 12 days of Christmas, and again are marked by feasts, family, and joy. The traditional color of Epiphany is white. Season 2 The First Group of Ordinary Time the first segment of Ordinary Time begins the Sunday after January 6th, which is Epiphany. Although Ordinary Time sounds, well, ordinary, it's anything but. Unlike the seasons of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, and Easter, 
which are all marked by fasting or feasting, ordinary time does not observe fasts or feasts. It is actually an ordered number of weeks which focus on Lord Jesus' return and our preparation as a church for his return. The traditional color of ordinary time is green. Season 3 Lent, Easter, Ascension Day, and Pentecost The season of Lent comes after the first segment of ordinary time. Lent begins six Sundays before Easter Sunday and begins on what is called Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday commemorates the season of Lent by the imparting of ashes in the sign of a cross on the foreheads of Christians. These ashes represent our mourning and our repentance of sins, and they also symbolize our own mortality. Lent is a 40-day period when Christians commit to fasting, worshipful prayer, and the giving of alms to the poor. The traditional color of Lent is purple. Easter is interesting for many reasons. It begins on Resurrection Sunday, or Easter Sunday, which is a celebration of the resurrection of Lord Jesus. The season of Easter continues for an additional eight Sundays, often referred to as the Octave of Easter. Because Lord Jesus was crucified at the Jewish Passover, Easter is closely associated with the Spring Festival of Passover. Easter Sunday is a day of celebration and feasting for Christians everywhere. Churches do things like host Easter egg hunts, and those Easter eggs represent the empty tomb on the first Easter morning. The traditional color of Easter is white or gold. Ascension Day occurs during the octave of Easter. This day marks the ascension of Lord Jesus into heaven, and it marks the day where he promised that one day he would return and promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would soon descend on them and dwell in them. The traditional color of the ascension is white or gold. Pentecost Sunday is ten days after Ascension Day. Pentecost is the day in which the Holy Spirit came down on the believers and the Christian church, as we have come to know it, began. This was the day in which God came to dwell in all who believe in Lord Jesus. It is the day his family began to grow into what we now call the global church. The traditional color of Pentecost is red. Season 4 The Second Group of Ordinary Time The final season, before returning back to Advent, is the second season of Ordinary Time. Once again, Ordinary Time looks forward to the return of Lord Jesus and our preparation as the Church for His return. The traditional color of Ordinary Time is green. Now there are a few things I want to make you aware of in regards to the liturgical calendar and seasons. A majority of churches tend to follow the calendar and many of the traditions associated with it. But many churches celebrate only a few of the seasons, 
or they celebrate the seasons at a little bit of a different time, or they just emphasize Christmas and Easter. And this is because, unlike Ramadan, the liturgical calendar is not an immovable pillar of Christian life. That being said, I, along with many other Christians, believe that the calendar is a beautiful way to reflect on all Lord Jesus said and did while coming together as a wider community to practice spiritual disciplines in order to orient our hearts toward God, to grow closer to each other, and to express love toward all of humanity. The seasons of the liturgical calendar are also not times in which Christianity believes God is paying any more close attention to us than any other time of the year. We believe God is always near to each of us and never turns his back on us. Fasting and feasting are free acts whereby Christians seek to grow closer to God, to each other, and others. They are not a means to try to seek reward from God. Fasting and feasting in the liturgical calendar, although not established or mandated by God, have their roots in many of the holidays and seasons that were established by God in the Old Testament. God's mandate to the Jews was to always observe these particular fasts and feasts. But Christians do not have to observe the Old Testament festivals. And this is because we believe that those festivals were established by God in order to point to the future work of Lord Jesus. When Lord Jesus was resurrected, there was no longer a need to observe these any longer because he revealed and fulfilled the meaning of each of these festivals. Now, one such festival, and actually one of the most prominent festivals and seasons of fasting and feasting that we find in the Old Testament, is that of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verses 2 through 14. This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, and then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roasted over the fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over the fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. 
your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. The Passover, instituted by God, pointed to a day in which the true Passover lamb, Lord Jesus, would give his body and blood as a once-for-all sacrifice for humanity. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them, and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The liturgical calendar helps Christians all over the world orient their hearts and their lives toward God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These seasons of feasting and fasting are intended to draw us into the life of God. Through our devotion to the one who is love, we receive and reciprocate that love back toward him, toward each other, and toward those who are often the outcasts in society. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I hope and pray that you continue to seek God, asking for visions and clarity on all these Christian claims. And if you'd like some good resources on the material I covered today, I recommend taking a look at Introduction to Liturgical Theology by Alexander Schmemann, The Spirit of the Liturgy by Josef Ratzinger, Consecrating the World by David Fagerberg, and the CSB Study Bible which, of course, is the Bible translation I use. And if you don't have a Bible, I recommend downloading the Uversion app and selecting the CSB version from the list of translations. That's Uversion, as in Y-O-U version. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. Before we close our time together, I want to remind you to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. And the more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. 
And speaking of questions, I have some exciting news for you. Once again, the website for Muslims Want to Know is finished. On that website, you can listen to episodes, read transcripts of the episodes, submit your own questions, and take online courses and quizzes as well. I am very much looking forward to meeting you through the website. So please visit us today at www.muslimswanttoknow.com. And from my home recording studio in the Little Indian neighborhood in Chicago, Illinois, to wherever you're listening, I want to say thank you so much for continuing our conversation. Thank you, and God bless. <laughs>